Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome once again to Rancho Baptist Church. Thank you all so much for joining us this morning. We have much to be thankful for as we gather together. It was so sweet to, yeah, to sing that last song to one another and, and to our Lord. May He be glorified this morning in all that we do, particularly now as we open up His Word. I didn't say this first service, but something that happened this week I, I wanted to mention. So if, if you'll remember several weeks ago, I, I mentioned about this Ordinance 3121 in Lafayette, Indiana, um, that was trying to be passed in order to stop um, biblical counseling and some other things that were going on. Well, that ordinance was pulled. They, they stopped trying to push it through. So praise the Lord for His goodness. Amen? Amen. God is so, so good. This morning, before we, we turn to 1 Timothy, I want to start us off in 1 Corinthians this morning. So if you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. I believe this fits in very well with where we will be going in 1 Timothy chapter 6. As we see Paul use the example from a running race as a means to encourage, to challenge the, the believers in Corinth and for us today in the same way to run the race that the Lord has set before us. That we would live for God in everything that we do. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27 says this. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying that when, when everything is said and done, he wants to stand before the Lord and hear, well done, my, my good and faithful servant. He doesn't want to waste his life. He wants to live for the Lord. He doesn't want to get sidetracked into pursuing things that, that don't have any in, eternal significance. And, and if you're like me, you might enjoy watching sports. If, if you're like me, you've been watching some of the Olympics. And there is much to watch these days. You could probably waste hours upon hours upon hours watching all sorts of different events. For me, I kind of gravitate towards snowboarding. It's kind of like surfing, but on snow. And, and this week in particular, there, there were two very important events that I was watching. Why? Because what they would consider the GOAT in each of their events were from the United States were competing. I don't mean like the ba kind of GOAT. I mean, the greatest of all time, that's, that's what they consider someone if you are indeed the best in your sport. And so the first was Lindsay Jacobellis. 
and she was competing in women's snowboard cross. And what happened with her is she's considered the GOAT, the best ever, and she's been competing for over 20 years, for a very, very long time she's been competing. And what happened before in a previous Olympics, she was in first place finishing the entire course, and the last thing you do is come over a little jump, you go down the hill on the backside of the jump, and, and then there's the finish line. She was in first place going to win the gold medal. She was probably 20 yards in front of the person who was in second. And as she came to the jump, she decided to, to do something that she shouldn't have done. So, so she tried to, like, kind of make this jump look really cool and, and fake her board, her board out here to do a fakie or something. I can't remember what she did, but what happened is she fell. And she got up in time to still receive a medal, but she didn't get the gold. And then the subsequent Olympics after that, she, she didn't even get onto the podium. So this year was her, her year. And she actually ended up winning. Kind of solidifying the fact that she is indeed the greatest of all time in, in women's snowboard cross. And then came the time for snowboard elite Sean White. Most people have heard of Sean White. He, he, has, he has won multiple Olympic medals. He is known as the greatest of all time in the half pipe. And he makes the Olympic team. And he really hasn't been competing that well, but he's the kind of guy that brings it when he needs to. So everyone's expecting for him to, to sneak in there and, and possibly win the gold medal. And he's in fourth place, and he has one more run. And you think that this is when he's going to do it. And yet instead, he, he falls, landing his second jump. Done. So he ends up in fourth place. For those of you who, who are like me, I'll, I'll throw this one in just as a freebie. Kelly Slater. Kelly Slater is considered the, the best surfer in the world, the greatest of all time. He, he won Pipeline Masters at the age of 49, just a couple days before his 50th birthday. He's just a couple years younger than me, and he's still competing with guys that are half of his age, and he's beating them. He, he is considered the greatest of all time, but my, my question for, for all of them is this, is it really worth it? To compete for what? For, for what Paul calls the perishable wreath. That, that, has, that which has no eternal significance, really. That which is going to be tarnished and it's going to get old and in so many years people are going to forget who these athletes were. I don't want my life to be characterized like that. I want to pursue what Paul says here he's pursuing, that I might receive a crown that is imperishable, that will last for all of eternity, that after my years of serving on the mission field and, and Papua New Guinea, what I, I want to I take the Siawi church and I want to lay it at the Lord's feet as those crowns. I, I want to take the time here that, I, that I'm devoting myself to, to ministering to all of you and to my family, and I want to lay that at the Lord's feet as something imperishable that will give him glory and praise. I want to live for something that matters, that counts. I want to live for God, don't you? Turn with me to 1 Timothy. That, that is where Paul goes next. You see, what we looked at last week is what you shouldn't live for. You, you shouldn't live for the love of money. Why? Because it is destructive. It'll take you away from the Lord. 
and it'll pull you in all sorts of wrong directions. And this morning, where he, what we're going to see where he goes is in a different direction. Okay, so you shouldn't love this. You shouldn't live for this money and the love of money. And where he's going to go now is, okay, this is how you should live. This is who you should live for. And this is how you do it. Verse, verses 11 to 16. We're still not quite finished with 1 Timothy. Might be a couple more weeks. Is it such good truth? Look at what Paul says. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in inapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. He, he ends in this doxology, this praise. It's like you can't contain Paul. So he gives him these commands. He then what? He, he wants to just praise the Lord and he wants Timothy to recognize, hey, this is where living for God le- leads. It leads to praise. It leads to thanksgiving for God. In fact, I'm so thankful right now. Timothy, I'm, it's, it's like I'm singing to you. May the Lord fill our hearts this morning with his joy. So let, let me stop talking. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, none of us have come here this morning to listen to me. We've come to hear from you. So Lord, wh- whatever it is that's getting in the way, Stop it. Make your word clear to us this morning. Allow your Holy Spirit to be our teacher, to be our guide. We are so thankful and grateful to you for your incredible grace, for your word, for how powerful it is, Lord. So use your word this morning as you see fit that none of us would leave here the way that we came but that we would be renewed. Renewed in our minds, our, our hearts would be gripped with how you want us to live for you. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Okay, let me focus on one thing as, as, as we begin. Notice verse 11 and, and how Paul describes Timothy. But flee from these things, you, son of mine. No, you, pastor of the church in Ephesus. You, almost an apostle. You, really good guy. You, strong worker. You, fellow missionary. No, you, man of God. 
That, that, that should be a comfort and encouragement to us all. That that is where the Apostle Paul goes. Why? Because he wants to remind Timothy whose he is, who he belongs to. And if I wanted to, I could take us back in the Old Testament and I could go to the, the life of David and we would see from God's word that he is described as the man of God. We, we could go to Joshua. We could go to Elijah. They, they too are likewise described as that man of God. As, as far as ladies go, I, I, I could take you to Hannah. Wouldn't say that she is a woman of God, but we would see that that is the way that she functions. We could go to Ruth, and we could look at the life of Ruth, who rather than abandoning her mother-in-law, Naomi, and going back to her old life, she says, are you kidding me? I want your God to be my God. We, we could go to her, but, but I think the best person for us to go to is Moses, because this is where we see this, this phrase given to someone in the Bible. So turn with me to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter, well, we're going to see it in 33.1, but I want to start earlier. Just expanding this idea of the man of God and where this came from and why this should be a challenge to all of us, that you should want to be the man of God that he's called you to be. You should want to be the woman of God that he's called you to be. And what we're going to see in these verses is a way for you to head down that direction, that road, to becoming all that God wants you to be, to be the one who lives for him, just as Moses did. Wrinkles and spots and all. So we're going to start in, in Deuteronomy 32, and this would be a, a, a good chapter to, to write in your notes someplace to come back to because chapter 32 is, is basically a song that Moses writes depicting God as his rock so that then he could share that with the nation of Israel, re reminding them that this is their sovereign God. This is their king of kings. This is their, their, their solid rock that they can stand on no matter what happens. And that's what, what we see basically all the way up to verse 43. It's Moses' song. It's what the Lord allowed him to write, to sing praises to the Lord as we have done, as we've begun our service. And then look at what happens and what is said. Then Moses came and spoke all the words of this song in the hearing of the people. He with Joshua, the son of Nun. When Moses had finished speaking all these words to all Israel, listen to what he says. He said to them, take to your heart all the words which I am warning you today, which you shall command your sons to observe carefully, even all the words of the law, for it is not an idle word for you. Indeed, it is your life. That would be a good verse for you to underline. Notice what is your life. Your life is God's word. This is what we should eat, breathe, and dream, and drink every day. Indeed, it is your life. And by this word, you will prolong your days in the land, which you are about to cross the Jordan to possess. Notice, you are about to cross, not me. The Lord spoke to Moses that very same day, saying, Go up to this mountain of the Abarim, Mount Nate. Nebo, 
which is in the land of Moab, opposite Jericho, and look at the land of Canaan, which I am going to give to the sons of Israel for a possession. Then die on the mountain where you ascend and be gathered to your people as Aaron your brother died on Mount Hor and was gathered to his people. Why? Because you broke faith with me. In the midst of the sons of Israel, at the waters of Meribah, Kadesh, in the wilderness of Zin, because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the sons of Israel. For you shall see the land at a distance, but you shall not go there into the land which I am giving the sons of Israel. Man, this would be incredibly depressing if that's all that we knew of the life of Moses. You might start to think perhaps Moses at this point would, would consider himself, well, man, maybe God's grace and, and that fountain of God's grace just was turned off. Do you ever feel like that at times? That maybe God's just stopped listening. But look at chapter 33, verse 1. This is so encouraging. After all of that, look at how Moses is described. Now this is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the sons of Israel before his death. He's still described as as belonging to it. God. You see, Moses knew that the Lord was his. That he was the Lord's. That is so good for us to be reminded of. I needed that reminder this week. You see, I kind of had a, a weird thing happen to me this, this weekend. I got up early in order to go to Costco to get some gas. And I was cruising on Margarita. And I was thinking about, wow, I think I might have enough time to get my oil changed, to get the car washed, and this and that. And you know what I did? I stopped looking at my speedometer. And I'm cruising on Margarita, and then all of a sudden, out of the side of my, my peripheral vision, I see a a motorcycle cop with a little gun pointed at me. And just when I put my foot off of the gas, I notice he's already behind me. And I pull over, and, and I'm thinking of all sorts of good excuses I could give this guy that perhaps would pull him over to say, oh, I'll just let you go. Wasn't going to tell him I'm a pastor. That was not the excuse I was thinking of. And as he came up, the Lord just humbled me, and I, and I remembered that my wife has been telling me for, I don't know, sweetie, how, how long has it been? L- longer than a month, I think, that I'm driving too fast. But at times, I'm not very teachable. I don't know if any of you can relate. So what did I do? I didn't listen to her. And, and, then, and then I get a ticket. <laughs> and, the, and the policeman gives it to me, and I, I say, totally my bad. And he says, yes, and on top of that, sir, th- this is a kid zone. There's schools here. I, I say all that because that's God's grace. Was I thinking it was God's grace when I first looked at him? Are you kidding? No, I was thinking, what an aggravation. This is going to put me back an, an extra 15 minutes. But that is God's grace because what does he do? He uses situations like that to wake us up. 
and to remind us who we should be living for. So, turn back with me to Timothy. Noticing that he is the man of God. That the Lord wants you to be the man of God. That he's created you to be. He wants you to be the woman of God that he's created you to be. So last week we saw the why. Why we shouldn't live for money. It ends up destroying us. This morning what we're going to see is, is who we should live for and how we should live. That we should live for God. And what the Apostle Paul gives us uh, are three ways to live for God. First, we're going to see that we need to be faithful to God. I, I chose these words with, with lots of prayer over them. Not just you need to be obedient to God. You need to be faithful to God. He's not talking about just one thing. Oh, I just want you to be obedient when you get in your car, Jason. No, I want you to be faithful to me in all things, in your thoughts, in the way that you respond, in the way that you relate to the government in your car, in the way that you present yourself to everybody at church. I want you to be faithful and to be my man, to be my kind of man. That's what he's saying to you this morning. To be faithful to God. Number two, to be encouraged by God. We're going to see this in this charge that Paul gives to Timothy. He doesn't want Timothy to only think of God as, as someone just requiring obedience but without love. No, our God is loving. And we need to be encouraged by our wonderful and great God. And third, this, to be celebrating your God. Not just to be praising your God because I, I, I'm not certain that that, that is, is too small. Be celebrating your God. Not just here on Sundays when we gather together to sing, but that your heart would fill and that you'd want to sing outside of here. You know one of the major blessings of, of ministering with Pastor Shane is I get to listen to him whistle all the time. Seriously, he whistles all the time. Worship songs. And, and it is such an encouragement. Are, are you like that? That's what we're going to see, that Paul goes into this praise and worship of the Lord just naturally. Am, am I like that? Do, do I go into some natural praise chorus as I consider God as I spend time in his word? That's just not the case for me. But this is something that I want to strive towards. So first, what do we see? Be faithful to God. We see this in the way of four commands that the Apostle Paul gives to Timothy. And remember, this is right after telling him to stay away from the love of money. Look at what he says. First, what is the first command? Flee, but flee from these things, you man of God. Flee from what things? No doubt he's pointing right back to the love of money. Hey, don't make that the most important thing in your life. Don't make that the most important thing. Flee from these things. This is in the present tense, which may not mean anything to us, but what it means is this is something that you continually do, that you're constantly doing. It isn't like, oh, I'm going to flee that today, and then tomorrow I'm going to forget about it. It's not like me in my car where I forget that I'm now doing 63 miles an hour in a 45 zone. No, it's, it's not like that. It's something that you are going after or, or staying away from, avoiding as much as you can to keep 
from doing something that you know has a potential for harm? Do you recognize that what you watch has the potential for harm for you spiritually? Do you recognize that the people that you hang out with, that that has a potential for harm? So what do you do when you go to the beach and you're fully dressed and then you decide that you're going to walk right along the water's edge and a big wave comes and what do you do? You run away from it, right? Why? Because you don't want your shoes to get all wet. Is that what Paul is talking about? Where you're just kind of nonchalantly, oh, oh, <laughs> no, no, this is much more than that. This, this is the idea of, of running away strong, fleeing for your life. Instead of thinking about a little bit of water coming at you, think of a raging flood. In Papua New Guinea, we could hear the floods coming. And if that was the case, the one place that you did not want to be was near the river. Think of a mighty, huge, great grizzly bear coming after you. What do you do? You turn, you run as fast as you can to get away from that particular grizzly bear. That is what the picture is that Paul is presenting. I, I, don't, I don't want you to even think about considering what you can do with this particular thing. You need to run and flee from it recognizing that it could hurt you. This was brought home again and again in Papua New Guinea when it came to when our people would go and hunt wild boars. This is the one lesson that they gave me besides, oh, keep your head down when you come up because the, the pigs can smell you, Jason. Come on, don't you know anything? And stop stepping on the leaves. You're making all this noise. But the most important lesson that they told me is, hey, when we go hunting after wild boar, you must have an exit plan. You must have an escape plan. You must have a turn and jump up that tree within five feet plan because you're not going to have longer than three or four seconds. Because what happens is we're not very good shots. It isn't like every time we shoot a wild boar, it takes three steps and then dies. Usually, we just tick them off. I'm giving you the Jasonism. And then, you know what happens to that wild boar that we just ticked off? He comes after us. And so what you need to do is you need to find a tree. And that one's too small for you. Because I was big compared to the Siawis. They're all five foot two. And they could climb up like a small little thing and they'd be fine. But I, I needed a larger tree. All that to say that what is the mindset? Run as fast as you can away from that because that is danger. Particularly a teenage boar where the tusks hadn't grown out all the way. They were like razor sharp, only like an inch and a half long, but they would completely tear you up. That's the picture. But I don't want any of us to think that all that Paul is talking about is only the love of money. We, we don't know exactly what these things refers to, but it's in the plural. So is it the results of the love of money? I think it goes deeper. I think it goes further. In te 2 Timothy 2, chapter 2, verse 22, he uses the same word flee to, to talk about youthful passions. In 1 Corinthians, he uses the same word in 6.18 to flee sexual immorality. Then in chapter 10, verse 14, he says, oh, flee idolatry. 
What is he saying? He's, he's saying to all of us this morning and to Timothy and to the church in Ephesus, hey, this is important. Why? Because your spiritual growth is at stake. You need to grow in godliness. You need to live for the Lord, and this is how you do it. You stay away from that. Because it's detrimental to your spiritual growth, and it's detrimental to the health and maturity of Christ's church. So it's important to him. And it should be important to us. So I believe all that we've seen in in 1 Timothy already presented to us. That the Apostle Paul has told Timothy to to tell everyone to stay away from is being represented here. The vain imagination or, or the teaching of the false teachers. These strange doctrines that they were teaching. We flee from that. You don't keep playing with it. If you know somebody is off, You don't keep listening to them. You don't read books from that particular author. You stay away from it. Fruitless discussions, immodesty, not treating believers as family. All of these things that Paul has highlighted are things that we need to recognize on the negative side that we stay away from it. Don't come to church and be all by yourself. Come to church and trust the Lord that you are going to engage, that you're not going to wait for someone else to say hello to you. You come and be a blessing and pour yourself into others and see then what the Lord will do. But Paul doesn't leave it at at just flee these things. As is so often the case with the Apostle Paul, he gives us the right thing that we should do. So what we see next is this, pursue. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Paul's also communicated this in a way that you you take off this shirt and you put on this other shirt. That is what he is saying. It's the take off, put on, or put off, put on principle. You don't just stay away from this, but then you pursue something else. Instead of going after a desire for more and more money and making that your aim, you go after righteousness. You go after right living according to God's perspective. And in the sight of God, that which would please him. That's what righteousness entails. And it doesn't mean just you and God. It means you and everyone. That you would live righteously in the way that you respond. Me with that officer. Instead of lying to him. Telling him the truth. I deserve this ticket. I don't need to get out of it. I mean, I'd like to get out of it. Second, godliness. That is what we are to pursue. We're supposed to follow after it. In such a way that you're following after it quickly, with haste. Godliness, again, is, is this inner quality where, where, where we revere God and we seek to please Him. Go after faith. What does that look like? That looks like having a confident trust in God. When you're presented with opportunities where you actually just want to run the other way from God and not trust Him, that you would trust Him right there and then in all circumstances, that you would put on love, that you would pursue love, a sacrificial, agape kind of love, That is others focused, not focused upon yourself. 
these again are, are virtues that God is upholding, that he is letting us know, man, this is what you should be chasing after. Perseverance, the capacity to hold out or to bear up, literally to remain under. What, what is that? This is a won't quit kind of attitude. Think of the guys I started off with. Kelly Slater, who has served for so long, he, he, he won't quit. Let's translate that into us as believers. Is that your attitude? That no matter what, Lord, I am not going to quit. I'm going to keep pursuing you in all things and trusting you. And I'm going to be gentle. I'm going to be meek and mild. I'm going to be tender and patient in my attitude. And is that not something that, that many of us could grow in? I certainly could. Third command. Not just flee. Not just follow, but third, fight. Fight. Fight the good fight of faith. We, we must, in order to live for God, we must look at our life on so many aspects as a fight. A fight for righteousness, a fight for the gospel. Yes, in some aspects, as, as a physical fight, that's what the word picture is. But it's also used in a non-physical sense, which could mean a fight in our own hearts, a struggle that we would have, desiring to do what, what the Lord wants us to do, but also having this other desire that goes the other way. And the same word is used in, in Luke twenty two forty four that you wouldn't think this is the same word. And what this is communicating is that, that this is also showing concern for victory before the decisive battle or struggle actually begins. And this is what we see Jesus doing in the garden, recognizing that the cross was coming. And so what does he say? He says, and being in agony, that's the idea of, and, and, and fighting within his own soul. But, but committing himself to doing whatever the Father wants. He was praying very fervently and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. Fighting within yourself, recognizing the severity of what is about to come, but committing yourself to the battle before it happens. Is that your attitude? That even before the struggle comes, that you are committed to following the Lord, to living for the Lord in whatever circumstance the Lord allows to come. That's what Paul is getting at. Notice what kind of fight it is. It's not a marginal fight. It's not even just a fight. It's the good fight of faith. It has the idea that compared to other things, this is better. And there are many things that we could say that we, that we would want to fight for and, and, and make the, the aim of our life. Standing up against abortion, the fight against racism, government control. You, you fill in the blank. There's all sorts of things that we say, oh, man, that's good. But it's nothing compared to what he is saying, what is the good fight of faith, and what is that? That's talking about the gospel. This word means good means profitable or useful. Why is it that this fight is so much better than all these other fights? Because this has eternal significance. Because this changes the eternal soul's destination. And all these other things, yes, they, they, they are something, no doubt. But not like this. 
And then from there he goes on to the fourth command, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. That you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Does, does this sound strange to you? This, this, this seems strange to me. How do you take hold of eternal life? I thought eternal life was something that took hold of you. So if I can take hold of it, then could I let go of it? Is that, is that what Paul means? No, that isn't what Paul means. Paul's not talking about someone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ for the very first time. He's talking to Timothy, who has already placed his faith and confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's already repented and turned to the Lord. We know this from Acts 16, when he was called to become a missionary with Paul. Everybody in that community saw Timothy as a young man who was honoring the Lord, already saved, and walking with the Lord. So this is not a hold on to eternal life in order to gain it. This is a call to godly living with an eternal perspective. That's what he is calling Timothy to. And so he tells him to take hold of this. To take hold of eternal life. That means to grasp in order to make your own. To hold on aggressively. At times, it actually means to to hold on with with the intended violence, such as in Acts 21.30, where the the crowd seized the Apostle Paul when he was in the temple and dragged him out. Why? In order to kill him. The same word is used of of Peter in, in, in Matthew 14. When Peter is sinking, and what does Jesus do? He takes hold of him. He grabs him and pulls him up. This isn't so that we would then be saved. This is because we already are saved. That we hold on to the life that the Lord Jesus Christ purchased for us to have and that we live for him. Notice what is mentioned here, the the good confession that Timothy had made. What is he speaking of? He's, He's talking about responding to the gospel, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, recognizing that You are a sinner. Recognizing your own utter sinfulness and God's complete holiness and divine wrath and judgment that our sins do deserve. That God is faithful and He will not let any sin go unpunished. And we know from God's Word that the penalty, the price of sin is death. So the question is, who will end up paying for your sins? Will it be you because you do not turn and trust the Lord Jesus Christ? Or will you allow him to be the one that purchased your redemption? Will you turn to him in repentance and faith and trust in him alone? That is also what Paul is getting at. So we as believers, first we're to be faithful and second we are to be encouraged by God he doesn't want to just give all these commands to Timothy without also giving him some encouragement and that's what we see in verses 13 to 15a I charge you in the presence 
of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time. Stop there. Notice what Paul does. He brings in two witnesses that he then is telling Timothy, hey, I want you to consider this, that when you live your life, you live your life with God the Father as a witness and Jesus Christ as a witness to all that is going on. And to what I'm commanding you to do, God the Father and Jesus Christ are right here with me, commanding you as well, but recognize there's encouragement in this for you, Timothy. Notice how he presents God. He doesn't present God as as the holy and righteous one, or that God that is ready to, to give his divine wrath. And instead, he presents God as the one who what? Gives life to all things. He's reminding Timothy, and he wants to encourage him, that it is God alone who gives life. That it is God alone who preserves life. And as such, it is God alone who will sustain Timothy's life no matter what happens. And, and, and remember that his work at the church in Ephesus was not an easy work. It was a difficult work. There was all sorts of disharmony and problems happening. So Timothy knew that that life was going to be hard. Timothy had already spent time with Paul and knew that life was hard. And so Paul is encouraging, hey, remember, God is the God of life. And he will be with you. He will preserve you. Are, Are you encouraged this morning? with this fact that our God is the God of life, that he's got you this morning, wherever you're at, and that you are in his hands, and that he will continue to look after you, preserve you, sustain you. But then look at also who he mentions, Christ Jesus who did what? Who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate. What's he talking about? He's talking about the gospel. That Jesus is the example for all of us as to how we should live, how we should pattern our life. You follow Jesus who, what did he do? He preached the kingdom. He said, hey, believe in me and then you will enter into God's eternal kingdom. And how long is Timothy supposed to do this? How long is he to live out this calling? How long are you to live out this calling? Look at what he says, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time. Again, this is God the Father. This isn't Jesus Christ. God the Father is the one that has appointed the time. He knows when Jesus will come back. But this too is encouragement. Why? Because we know that Jesus is going to come back. And so we live our lives recognizing, just as the Apostle Paul, just as Timothy did, that Jesus could come at any time. And so it is of utmost significance that we go ahead and and use every opportunity the Lord gives us to point others to him, to share the gospel with others. This word that he will bring about at the proper time means to exhibit something that can be understood by one or more of the senses. It's the idea that you can literally see it with your eyes. It's the same word that is used by Philip when he talks to Jesus in, in John 14, 8, saying this, Philip said to him, Lord, show to us the Father, and it is enough for us. He's saying, let, 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 let us see the Father with our own eyes. And isn't it interesting when, when, when Paul is 
wrapping everything up, he, he says that God is one you cannot see. They, Philip didn't get it. Jesus was the representation of God. That they had already seen God. They were seeing God every day. But they missed it. Are you missing it? Jesus is coming back. We know it. So live for God. In order to live for God, we must be faithful to put off and put on. We need to be encouraged by God and who he is and how he looks after us and the fact that Jesus is returning and that Jesus was all about the gospel. And, And finally, what Paul teaches us is what our response should be to all of this. And what is that? That we should be celebrating our God, your God. Look at the last half of 15 and verse 16. We'll wrap up with this. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, where does he go? He goes to letting us know that God is in control of all things. That he is the king of kings compared to anyone in this world that we live in. God the Father is over and above all. He's the Lord of lords who alone possesses what? Immortality. He has no beginning. He has no end. And so he can be the one that holds our life in in his hands, and we can be confident of that. And he dwells in in an unapproachable light, speaking of his holiness, that there is no sin with him. And all of this is given as praise. That even though God is this majestic, God is this great, God is this glorious, it is this God that we have a relationship with. It is this God whom we walk with, whom we should live for. And as we live for him, then this praise should come pouring forth just as it does with the Apostle Paul, whom no man has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. What does Paul end here? He ends here with a chorus of praise, a doxology, reminding Timothy how great God is. It's as if he breaks into a song, singing about the blessedness of our God. Look at 1 Timothy 1.17. And notice here that we've already seen a bit of a doxology in 1 Timothy. Very similarly that, that, that Paul just goes into an account of how good God is, how majestic God is. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Sounds very similar, but notice the difference. And this one says be honor and glory forever and ever. But in the text that we're looking at this morning, instead of glory and honor, it's be honor and eternal dominion. Why? Like I said, because Timothy's life is hard. And Timothy needed some encouragement to be reminded that God has this. That this is God's eternal dominion. That this is all working out exactly the way that God has planned it, even if it doesn't make sense to you, Timothy, even if it doesn't make sense to me this morning standing in front of you, or to you sitting here or watching at home, that nothing takes our God by surprise. This is all part of, the, of his eternal dominion, his plan, that he is over and above all things. So in essence, I'd, I'd look at it like this. Paul is telling Timothy, yes, Timothy, you know what? Your calling, your path ahead, 
It's a tough one. It's a long one. It's a difficult one. Look at You've looked at my life, and you know that my life has been long and tough and hard. But our God, who has called you as he's called me, is, is larger and greater than any and all of that, Timothy. And he's saying the same thing to you and I this morning. God is greater than all of that. He will be your strength. And so as a result, Timothy, I want you to sing praises to him. I want praises to to come out of your lips. I want you to offer praise as a result of of how you are now just, just consumed with the wonder and awe of how great God is. That we would sing praises to him. If I could have the Pastor Shane and the worship team come up. I would like to go right into just chorus, choruses of praise, singing to our great, great God, blessing the Lord together, just as Paul does here with Timothy as he's closing up verse 16 and just interludes into that. It doesn't make any sense, but this is what should be the normal result the normal response to us considering how good our God is and how privileged we are above all others on this planet to be saved, to know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and to walk with him. So let's, let's sing to the Lord. Let's all stand this morning as we come and tell God how great he is.
Hallelujah. 